0: All right, uh, let's get started here. My customary five minutes after now start starting time. I know I fooled people earlier this week by actually starting on time. But uh, uh, despite the normal start time, doing something different here, normally we, we're talking to basketball and basketball-adjacent people. But uh, earlier this week, I, I uh, read an article about the, 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 the Chargers uh, coach, Brendan Staley, uh, written by, by uh, The Athletic's Daniel Popper. Uh, and Daniel was kind enough to, uh, respond to my invitation and, and agree to come on. Um, th- thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah. Thanks for so, so much for having me, Seth. I appreciate it.
0: So I, there was a lot that there's a lot to dig in about this article in, in, or in, and Brandon Staley in general, um, we I, I feel like we've we've seen these kind of articles before a little bit i remember i remember we saw one about uh uh i believe it was it was uh, Harbaugh a couple yep. of years ago a uh, talk some somewhat similar but it seems like there's a now kind of a wave of coaches who are um embracing sort of uh I don't, um sort of be the house in the casino mindset.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that that story you're referencing was Shil Kapadia who wrote that about, you know, the Ravens and their analytics staff and how they've got about things. Um, you know, I think with, with Brandon specifically and sort of this wave of coaches, you know, becoming more open to using math and their decision-making, it's just trying to find advantages wherever you can. Like, that's the name of the game in the NFL. The difference between winning and losing is so small and you have to gain advantages at the margins and coaches have been doing that for decades, you know, since Vince Lombardi and Paul Brown were coaching um, and that's exactly what these coaches are doing. And, and, you know, the ones that understand how to apply math to their decision making believe that they're going to build an advantage for themselves and gain some sort of marginal advantage that's going to win to more wins than losses in the aggregate. And that's really what it is for Brandon Staley. Like his approach is how do I put my players in the best position to win football games and in his opinion And I think a lot of people would agree with him, like using the math to make game management decisions is going to give his players a better chance to win. That's really what it comes down to. Like if he thought that the math wasn't helping him win football games, he wouldn't be doing it. But he really believes in this and believes in using data to make better decisions. And like overall, just acquiring as much information as possible to make decisions and like that framing of it it's a lot different than how analytics are usually talked about, especially in the NFL where there's been a lot of backlash. Like if you just frame it as if you're going to make a really important decision, wouldn't you want as much information as possible to make that decision? What is the value in ignoring information when you're making a decision, if it could possibly help you make a better decision. And that's really what it comes down to for Brandon Staley and what it comes down to for analytics in the NFL overall. Like it's just, more information. It's not making decisions based on a chart or a sheet. It's just applying as much information to your decision-making process as possible, so that you can get the entire picture.
0: So I'm glad you I'm glad you 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 kind of framed it that way because there's there's a quote from the the uh, from the article that that I that I wanted to to read back because. Um, but this this gets back to something that I've talked about a lot. I mean, the, the opening line of of my book is this is a book about analytics. I hate analytics because yeah, I'm talking about the term. And, and what he says in the article is I think the problem with, quote, analytics, when you use that word, immediately someone is feeling something and they shouldn't be. If it was another term that people were more comfortable with, then they would be a different response. But analytics, it's like, well, it doesn't belong in ball. It belongs to the CIA. It belongs in investment banking. It doesn't belong in sports. And I. I think that's a that is a that is very perceptive of him to to note that the the term has become so loaded and so like this is this is not football this is nerd stuff um as opposed to this is this is football with another lens with another set of glasses on
1: right exactly and I I'd actually ask you a question here because I've been following your work for a long time you've obviously been around quote unquote analytics for a long time why do you think the framing is so poor or do you think it's just the fact that you're dealing with a lot of these you know big ego sports personalities that inherently will have a lot of hubris and so they're just going to be they're going to frame it however they want to to try and protect like what's theirs and protect sports and keep the nerds out
0: uh so i think there, i i sort of reference uh kyle body who is who's sort of a um one of the people at the forefront in sort of a lot of the more recent, like scientific approaches to player development in baseball. Uh, he's the founder of Driveline out out in mm-hmm. Seattle. Um, he he put it this way: is like the people who ha, who like sports people, like baseball man or football man or, or, or hockey or whatever you want to say. Like that, the 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 old school they have a negative reaction to analytics for one of three reasons. One is like they're they're just old school, stuck in their way, never going to change. I know everything. And that's, you know, that's sort of the, the people you, okay, those aren't, those people aren't reachable, so kind of put them off to the side. Um, one is that they've been, they've been informed, of misinformed of what analytics is by, by sort of talking heads who, who see the, uh, who who see the engagement in sort of, in sort of, you know, going at it that way. And I think, you know, we don't need to, to name names, but I think if you look across most sports there there are we can find examples of the of the how many games did your calculator win type type attitude and the third way and i think this is this is perhaps most most relevant is uh, as he as he turned it like they they their first exposure to it was through a low feel analyst someone who you know there's the, there's the there's the famous kevin durant tweet like you know who wants to look at a chart when we're we're trying to talk ball like you know, trying to you, you go up to a player and you try to show him a, a data table. It's like, how is that? How do you think that's going to work? And so that that puts someone in a in a different you know that, that gives someone a negative first impression of it. When whereas if you approached it, you know, in the language of football, in the language of basketball, you probably would have gotten a better first impression.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's a really good point because you know when Brandon Staley was sort of discussing this idea of why math should matter to his players, like he, he wasn't talking about win probability and modeling and all of these things get talked about a lot in football analytics. He was talking about things as simple as, well, if I tell Justin Herbert that on, that 70% of the time on third and fourth to sixes, this defense is going to blitz. It doesn't mean that they're going to blitz on every single third and fourth to six, but you certainly want your quarterback to be aware of that probability so that he can anticipate that in certain situations. You know, another example he brought up was like, if J.C. Jackson, a cornerback for the Chargers, if we tell him that this receiver catches ninety percent of his passes outside the numbers, like that should matter to him. That math should matter to him. And so you can take, you know, more, um, you know, complicated examples. Um, but as long as you're distilling it in a certain way to your players, like all of that stuff should matter, and that's. A really important part of it is like I think the language of this matters and that was one of my goals with the story was you know trying to distill all of this stuff that is talked about in a really nebulous way and be more specific about it so that fans that might not understand it can start to understand what's actually happening here and why you know the Chargers feel like it's an important part of their organizational philosophy
0: I was actually slightly surprised by that because I you know I've I've wondered about like you Know it's sort of like the weather. What, is it, what does a 70% chance of rain mean? Um, is is you know, I, I think that for a player who's played quarterback as long as Justin Herbert has, um, you kind of have a sense for what's a blitz situation, so it's almost like the, the percentage doesn't matter as much as they do this a lot relative to what anyone else does. And I was right. I, so I was surprised that he framed it. In terms of actual percentages, rather than saying, "Hey, we know that they blitz seventy percent of the time," so we tell them, "Hey, they blitz a lot in this situation." That's right. That, that is more what I. That is all, like, and the fact that he's actually going to percentages, I think that speaks to to the degree to which he's kind of educated the players in terms of how to take this information on. Right, right. But I'm
1: sure he takes a very individual approach with this. So, you know, Justin Herbert was a biology major for student at Oregon, like a science guy, his older brother is you know, just graduated from Columbia Medical School. So, like, if you give Justin Herbert the percentages, I'm sure he's going to be able to internalize that in a different way than another player. And so maybe his his framing and his language that he uses with different players is sort of individualistic, which is how he approaches, you know, the X's and O's football stuff as well. You know, how do I maximize this player's potential? And you sort of have to take an individual approach with, with player to player. But, you know, it's obvious that, that Brandon Staley, you know, believes in probabilities, and, in, you know, based on the way that he articulated the points to me in the story.
0: Uh, the other favorite thing uh, you, you, that was in the story was the, his discussion of sort of the, uh, the, the in-game decision making and how they've basically already made the decision.
1: Yeah, that part was super interesting because you get a sense that that's sort of how, you know, teams that do rely on analytics is sort of, you know, you hear that that's how they go about making their decisions um, and how there's value in knowing You know, on first down, second down and third down, you know, where you need to get on fourth down. Um, But I thought it was really interesting that he was able to, like, articulate it to me so specifically. Because I think a lot of times you talk about it and you're like, okay, you want to know on third down, you know, where you need to get to on fourth down. But I don't think any team has really articulated in a way where, like, hey, we're doing this at the start of every set of downs. But it makes a ton of sense because you want to – again, it's just more information. You're giving your play caller – more information so that when he's calling the play on first down he has the full picture in front of him of where they need to get to on fourth down to make it a go um and you know that will improve the play calling make your play calling more efficient on earlier downs when you have that full picture like to me it makes a ton of sense and it's a very logical way to go about it um but i'm not sure like how many teams in the nfl are actually doing it that way
0: uh that's certainly one aspect of it. The other aspect of it was he's he something that I've kind of harped on a, a lot in, in football terms is if you wait till kind of those late game, high pressure need to make a decision in 30 second situations, the, you get eaten up by the moment. Like you, you, you can't, you know, you, you listed all the factors that, that, you know, go into some of these models and, you know, the fourth down decision-making is, is sort of the most obvious one, but I would think that like, isn't that kind of why teams have play sheets, right? You don't want to like, yeah. okay, I can I can look through the entire playbook in thirty seconds. It's like, no, we we thought about this all week, and and these are like the go tos in this spot.
1: Yeah, and, exactly. I mean, yeah, you, you the, the play sheets are all divided up by, by situations, you know, so third and short, second and short, second and long, just to make it easier to, to sort through as a play caller.
0: And and you know that's that that's something that that in in uh, you know I you see the the sort of the default towards conservatism, uh, I think, in, in, you know, stuff like when to foul, when you need to shoot a three, how to use your timeouts, because there hasn't been that sort of situational mental practice beforehand. And it seems he was very explicit about oh, we've done that work already. We like, you know, these are the, these six people. We've had that those discussions and we know how we want to make those decisions and we've basically made them already.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. Like that was one of the biggest threads throughout my entire conversation with him was just how much preparation goes into all of this. And one thing he kept hammering home and this didn't end up making it into the story. But, you know, he when they when they did their review of the season, when the analytics staff at football research department did their recap of the season, they didn't just look specifically at fourth downs. They looked at game management as a whole, you know, so that includes, you know, your operation. That includes your two minute drives you know, all of these different situations that pop up in a football game. And like what Brandon kept saying is like, I'm happy with the way we made fourth down decisions. Um, Obviously some of them didn't go our way, but overall I was happy with the process. But I was also happy overall with our game management. If you go look at it, I mean, they barely had any delay of game penalties. You know, they had, they were among the lowest teams in the league in terms of wasted timeouts, you know, based on a study that 538 did. The operation was really clean. They were excellent in two minute situations in terms of, EPA gained in those in those specific situations so you know that all comes from preparation about making it a priority as soon as you get the job as head coach like hey we're going to maximize our ability to manage the game our ability to perform in certain situations and we're going to streamline our communication and decision decision making processes so that there are no hiccups you know and i think at one point in the story he goes you know you don't have time to have a powwow on the sideline because these decisions have to happen so quickly. So in order to make really good decisions consistently in those pressure packed moments in an instant of a second, right, you have to do all of that preparation. And it starts like in January when you first got the job, creating the systems and the lines of communication and all of these things that went into, you know, a clean operation, clean decision-making processes and, and, and cleanliness in, in these situational moments.
0: So being that's, that's, that's fascinating. Um, just just kind of kind of operating sort of efficiently that way you know in, in when the ball isn't in play almost like what's that what do you think that's worth to a team like it's, in the 17 game season th- does that get you you know even even half a win is a massive i would think in, in in a massive you know swing in your in your favor by doing that right. i mean what would you you know not not to put you on the spot for back of the envelope math or anything, but like, how much do you think a team like it's doing that if none of the other teams in the league are doing that? How much do you think they are gaining relative to the competition? A lot, and
1: I think that's why they do it. And that's one of the things that's really hard for me to reconcile. It's like th- this has been proven to give teams an advantage if you stick with it consistently and you do the type of preparation that the Chargers do. You know, on the aggregate last season, they were excellent on fourth downs. You know, despite having one of the worst punt teams in the entire league. Overall on fourth downs, they still were in the top five in the league in EPA and so you know you and you can you can do it by by total data or you can go by anecdotal data and like they had five wins that were directly related to you know fourth down conversions, but for whatever reason, you know head coaches around the league are always looking for added value at the margins, added value at the margins, added value at the margins, and then all of a sudden here is this possible route that you can take to create a clear advantage at the margins and a lot of teams just aren't willing to do it um and so you know absolutely i mean i half a win i think is probably underselling it because you know there were a bunch of wins earlier in the season week three at the chiefs week four against the raiders week five against the browns week nine against the eagles week 11 against the Bengals. you can point to specific fourth down conversions that led directly to victories and then you talk about not wasting any timeouts you talk about limiting the lay of game penalties and operational penalties like the the difference between winning and losing is so small in the NFL that it literally oftentimes comes down to one play one penalty and you know if you can eliminate some of those things or give yourself another chance on fourth down to convert in a key situation like that's going to lead to wins on the aggregate and it did for the Chargers and that's like one of the frustrating parts of it is like this narrative develops that the Chargers didn't make the playoffs because of how they made decisions. That's just objectively not true. And anyone who had the time to sit down and look through game books play-by-play play, and figure out what actually happened in these games could easily see that it was a positive for them on the aggregate. The problem is people love to have conversations without actually doing the research or looking at the specifics of what happened. And that's why I think a lot of these conversations get misguided because a lot of people just wave their hand and say, oh, it's analytics, it's stupid, you're losing games because of it. Instead of actually looking at the data, looking at the situations and coming to a determination based off the facts of the matter.
0: I mean, why? So basically, it because of the thing that happened last was a fail, it was some failed fourth down conversions. Well, that wasn't even the thing that happened last, really. I mean, because as you pointed out, like okay, that, that put them in a hole in in a, in a crucial game, but it also got them back into the same game. So right. it's it's like they were in a position to almost make the playoffs because of this, instead exactly. of just missing the playoffs because of this.
1: Yeah, And I also think it's a fascinating case study in regency bias, um, because they had failed fourth down conversions in a week 15, Thursday night game against the Chiefs that they lost in overtime, and then they had, you know, a failed fourth down conversion in that week 18 Raiders game, also on primetime. And if you go and, you, and, and th- that's what everyone focused on, but if you look at it, like over 70 percent of their fourth down conversion attempts on offense came in prime t- in four primetime games which is crazy. Like it was, And then like it was like 26% of their fourth down conversion attempts came in games that weren't on primetime. And so you have these two primetime games at the end of the season. That becomes a narrative because of recency bias. But also, when most of the nation was watching, they just ended up in situations where they made what people viewed as aggressive decisions based on the math. And that was just coincidence that this was happening in front of the nation. But all of a sudden, Staley gets painted a certain way because... People have only watched four Chargers games all year because those were the ones in primetime. But if you lo- if you watch the whole season, it would paint a much different picture. And a lot of people are focusing on the things that they saw in primetime versus actually looking at the data over the course of an entire season. And that's influencing the narrative 100 percent.
0: This is this is sort of reminiscent. Uh, it was I, I think it must have been Lamar Jackson's rookie year. They were. They were playing the Chiefs early in the year and they went for it a ton on fourth down. And when asked about it after the game, it's like, hey, Harbaugh was like, hey, nobody's stopping the Chiefs, and we're we're, we're just trying to keep up, basically was his and 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 you know, but people people say, Oh, they got crushed, they they gave up so many points because they did this and, and you know, that was you know, Pat Mahomes is good and the Chiefs are gonna score on anybody. And and, and yeah. so it it was it was sort of reversing the the uh, like we're in the game because of this. Not we didn't lose it. Um, right. Right. And and I would, I'll
1: add this. Like I think for whatever reason, and it's this is more a conversation about human nature than anything else. But people focus on the misses and not as much on the makes. Like, I mean that's, that's yeah
0: that's that's a fun, I mean I think that's a function of it being different. Um, I think and that was another the sort of in, interesting thing that 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 you you. Uh, you, you described uh, him him doing is sort of the default yes situations. Um and I think that like how like the, and this is not at all limited to football but the framing of which is the risky play is is I think is always fascinating to me. Yeah. Like it, it it's it's as if, you know, the the in the basketball side, oh, the you know the, the going for the 3 is risky versus the quick 2. It's like, well, you're I mean both <laughs> you know, you both carry substantial risks, and one of them, to my mind, carries more risk because you lose more often. Um, right. But, but it's but the way it's framed is the non-standard is seen as riskier. And you know, it looked at in a certain light, looking at in the light of sort of maximizing coach longevity, um, there may be a point there. <laughs> but that's right. uh, that I think that's changing. I think like the the, the fired because embarrassed thing is because they made embarrassingly aggressive decisions is becoming less of a thing than it might have ever been.
1: Right. And then the the context of the Chargers specifically is important with this conversation because their last coach, Anthony Lynn, you know, effectively got fired because he struggled in these specific situations in game management, in how he used his timeouts, in when he decided to go for it, like all of these things. It reached a breaking point where the Chargers felt like, hey, we have to make a change here culturally and philosophically so that we are gaining advantages in these situations. And so you can't like, you, you can't have it both ways, right? Like, you, you know, you, if you, if you make a change like this philosophically, organizationally, then you're going to bring in somebody like Brandon Staley who believes in this kind of stuff. And then you have to believe as an entire organization that over the course of an entire season, over the course of multiple seasons, that this is going to give you a winning edge. I think in year one, you know, that was exemplified in, in, both the you know aggregate data and the anecdotal evidence but the chargers you know clearly believe in this um and they're supporting brandon staley and how he's going about it
0: did he uh uh did he would would, you think he would engage at all with sort of the more nuanced criticism where it's like right decision wrong execution and not just like the play didn't work but you made the wrong play call which i think is the I, I don't know football well enough to level that criticism myself, but that seems like the more intelligent is like, yeah, no, you go for it there. You just don't run that play.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were situations last year where you get the thought process of, okay, our best player is Justin Herbert. We're going to put the ball in his hands. And there were situations where, you know, on fourth and one in that Raiders game, for example, the, you know, everyone focused on this one decision where he went for it, at his own 18-yard line, and he handed the ball off in that situation. Austin Eckler got dropped for a two-yard loss. And so you say, okay, like mathematically it was the right decision, but, you know, was the play call correct? Like, should you have handed the ball off? Or if your whole entire thought process is we want to put the ball on our best player's hands, then why wouldn't you let Justin Herbert throw the ball there? And so that's sort of a different conversation, right? But you have to sort of separate those two things, you know, separate the decision-making process and what the analytics and win probability models are telling you, and then what the play call is, because they are two separate things. Like you can make a really good decision mathematically and then, you know, have a bad play call from offensive coordinator Joel Lombardi where he's handing the ball off instead of giving the ball to, you know, a top five quarterback in the NFL. Well,
0: I, the, the, the further question is what is the reaction to that is if, if he stopped at, you know, short by inches instead of for a two yard loss, which is, there's no, there's not really a functional difference between the two, but I, I, I do wonder if, if like him, like the, the two yard loss, Oh, it never had a chance versus if it had you know, gotten just short of the line to gain, it, it might be viewed as, as sort of aggressive but unlucky.
1: Right. But ultimately, that's, you're, that you're gauging that on the result of the play. Yeah. And you know, I think you have to focus on, OK, what's the process of making these decisions? And was it a good process? And did you make an inherently good decision based on the win probability you're gaining? By going for it in that specific situation,
0: I mean, I think there are still edges to be had all over the place here because it's it's hard for people to be to not be results oriented in, in, in their thinking. I mean, I think that that um, you know, inside and outside of, of of kind of even the top levels of sports, like it's you can still gain an edge because you know people. Well, it didn't work, so it was bad. Like no, I think we we were we were we we were doing the right thing. Let's we'll just do it again, and and we'll get we'll get luckier next time. And mm-hmm. you you know that 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 seems to. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to pivot a little bit because I think you mentioned, you know, something about the previous coach almost losing the team because of these 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 decisions, and I thought that was, to me, that was some of the most interesting stuff about it. About your your piece was was sort of the description of how he, like, you know, you mentioned making this as part of the culture of the team, but like, yeah, we're doing something different and the players are all on board.
1: Yeah. That was one of the more interesting things to come out of the conversation because, you know, I sort of went into it expecting to talk a lot about, about math and, you know, very early on in the conversation, he was like, this was mindset first, math second, both equally important. And so there is a cult, there was a culture around this team of a lot of late-game losses, you know, the Philip Rivers era, and this term chargering, you know, developed on the internet, basically, to describe, you know, some of these collapses late in games um, that sort of happened at a, a pretty rapid pace for the organization over an extended period of time. And so it was really fascinating that, that he brought that up unprompted. He was like, there's this thing called chargering, and I knew I needed to change that. I ch- needed to change the mindset, and I couldn't have that hovering over the organization that like, oh, there's going to be some catastrophic injury. There's going to be some sort of late game collapse. Like he needed his players believing that we are going to go out there and we're going to take wins. And he felt like the best way to do that was approach decision making this way. You know, the math is going to give him an advantage. But at the same time, he believes that playing this way instills a certain mindset in his players, in his young quarterback um, that, hey, we're going to go take victory and we're not going to be conservative and, and that was something that he had to change on a really broad level just because of the history of the organization and like that's where it started for him which i thought was really interesting because you know I, we have all these conversations about you know how analytics are used in sports but there is like a human element to the game that has to be factored in by leaders and, and head coaches um and and to of like effort is something that is really hard to measure morale is something that's really hard to measure and what Brandon Steele said that I thought was really interesting is like you have to be aware of that or else you're doing a disservice to your players because they they all have brains and hearts and they're human beings and they have feelings and like that does factor into the result of a sporting event.
0: The way I like to put that is so you know we're talking about you know what is what is typically kind of quote unquote analytics we're talking about quantitative data. Right. Um and then the stuff you're talking about you know in in sort of formal terms you Call that qualitative data, and another another word for qualitative data is data. So it's it it it, it like it, again, this is sort of the the a part of the mindset set mindset shift is to not say that these are two different things. It's like okay, we're accounting for the statistics, and we're accounting for this this less tangible stuff that we that we can't exactly measure but know is real or strongly suspect is real, and I, I think that. That again, I mean, you mentioned how analytics get used in sports. Um, sort of the mindset shift is instead of like this being something you bolt on, like a you know, an aftermarket car kit or something like that, it's something you build in to begin with. And I think that's that's the only way it actually works because if it's something that's that's extraneous, it's sort of always going to be viewed as what do the nerds think instead of you know, as part of the as part of the the, the the sort of the pipeline of process of, of decisions being made.
1: Yeah, that, I think that's a really brilliant way of putting it because at the end of the day, it's all just information, right? And you're just adding more information to the pool of information you're using to make decisions, which does factor in, you know, if you want to call it qualitative data, sure. You know, taking, taking stock of where your player's at, where their heads are at, all of those different things. I think in order to do it properly, you have to immerse everything together. Um, exactly what you're saying. And, and, you know, the interesting thing that Brandon said is that, you know, I, I pushed back a little bit and I was like, you know, I, I, don't know if your analytics staff is like, would fully agree with this idea that, you know, it's mindset first, then math second. And he's like, no, that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. Like our research, our football research department is fully on board with how we're going about this, how we're sort of incorporating everything together in a, in a big pool of information to make decisions. And everyone's on the same page because, you know, a lot of people might push back on that and say, well, you know, that's going to lead somebody to make poor mathematical decisions if they're if they're putting too much weight on one of these versus the other. But if you put them all together into one pool and just view it as more information to make decisions, that to me would lead to a better process overall. And I think that's what's happening with the charters.
0: I think that the, the worry about that is based in on sort of the, the a misunderstanding mm-hmm. of kind of the someone who is who is a good enough practitioner of analytics to do it at the level that would be required by a professional sports team now that that's not to say that everyone who has those has one of those jobs performs at that level i mean i think that, that 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 is true kind of across every role in sports but i like there's this notion that it's that it's grounded in arrogance that we're always right whereas if you like if you want to find out what's what's wrong with like a model you ask the person who built it and if they're any good, they'll tell you exactly what's wrong with it. So I think that right. the, that, that the, the humility needed to do this. Well, I, I'm not at all surprised that the, that the, the staff is like, yeah, of course, like you, you know, but you, you put us, you put us all in at the start, you, you throw it all in the hopper at the start. And then however you want to wait, the decision is how you wait it. But, and we can discuss that, but that's the only way it can possibly work as opposed to, you know, sort of post facto sniping.
1: Right. Exactly. And, you know, that's sort of when they were building these models every week. Like, that's where they started was, you know, they started with the point spread. Like, what, what is how does the market view this matchup? And then they would wait or adjust the, the spread based on how they viewed their team and how they viewed the opposition. And then they'd factor in, OK, how does Brandon, how do you want to play this week? And so week 17 against the Broncos is a good example. They were down Teddy Bridgewater, Jerry Judy. They were missing a lot of their offensive passing game firepower. And Brandon Stelly felt like his defense was in a matchup really well with that. He felt like they were going to be able to load the box and stop the run and that Drew Locke wasn't going to be able to pass on them. And so he wanted to build a conservative model for the week based on all of those factors. And so they built their most conservative model of the season in that game. They won, but they went against the math, you know, on a couple of decisions because of how they built the model in a conservative manner. Um, And I think that part of it is really interesting that it's all it's all filtered through you know, what the head coach wants to do that week, you know, how Brandon Staley feels about the matchup. And then the math is all filtered through, you know, that initial approach.
0: I I would, I would, I would push back on describing it as, as going against the math, because again, like that, you know, it it may not be something that has been developed through a, you know, a precision tuned model, but that like, But that, that, that coaching impetus, like that's, that's a perfectly, you know, you're building in like the expertise of one of the, the, you know, the foremost practitioners of football strategy in the world. Presumably if you have an NFL head coaching job that, that applies to you. Right. Yeah. So like building that in, like, why wouldn't you, it's, it's almost, it's almost turning like the original thing on its head of, of like, you know, why wouldn't you take on more information Well, you have the, if you're building these models. Why wouldn't you, if you could figure out how, choose to incorporate the the studied intuition of the head coach?
1: Right, and that's exactly what it is. The only reason I said it that way is because they they kicked right. the field they kicked the field goal on a fourth and goal from the one. And if you're just if you're modeling football, like I don't think, I think right. and and Staley admitted to me in the in the interview, he's like, yeah, like a, a standard model would always tell you to go for it on fourth and goal from the one because you have a you know s- almost a seventy percent chance of converting you know, from that, from that area of the field. So like he would admit to you, like, yeah, we went, we went against like standard modeling on that, but that's because of, you know, how we built the model initially. And like, I think that's like a great way to put it. Like if you can, if you can incorporate, you know, he's a very good X's and O's coach. He's a brilliant football mind. If you can incorporate that into, into your model, why wouldn't you to add more information and to use that skill set, Right.
0: Exactly. Um, Did you ask him anything along the lines of, well, why do you feel so comfortably talking about giving away the secret sauce?
1: Yeah. So I think from a transparency perspective, he's very different than most NFL coaches and he wants to be different than most NFL coaches. You know, there's, you know, there's this culture in the NFL of like protecting information like it's state secrets, like asking. Typically, if you ask a coach about an injury, he's never going to give you Information on it. A lot of coaches will mislead because they, they're so worried about giving away any sort of advantage. When in reality, like this stuff doesn't matter.
0: I know all about state secrets. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I th- yeah I th- yeah exactly exactly. So I think in in Staley's mind, like he feels like there's a benefit to being transparent about how he goes about things, you know, for his fan base so that they can be fully on board with everything he's doing. Um, and he doesn't want to be like every other NFL coach. He wants to do things differently, and in this situation, I think he felt there was a benefit for the the fan base to understand, you know, what's actually going on here, because there is, like, as much as, like, the Chargers wouldn't want to admit it, like, there is a section of the fan base who's been watching football for 50 years, and trust me, I've had plenty of conversations with my dad about all of this stuff. He grew up, you know, watching the Giants in the 70s and 80s, and that's how he became a football fan, and there's a lot of fans out there who've been watching football for a long time who aren't used to people going for it in these situations and so they have a hard time rooting for the team in those situations because they don't understand what's happening and i think there's a lot of people in the chargers fan base specifically who read that story and now at least have some sort of sense about what's going into these decisions and they can root a little bit harder in those situations and i think that was his his approach to to being willing to share some of this stuff and i also think he really believes in himself and i don't think he thinks any of this stuff that he's giving out is really that valuable to other teams like if you if they if you believe in, in 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 implementing analytics in your organization, you probably do all this stuff anyway. And the teams that aren't doing it have people in charge that don't believe in it. So I don't think like him giving out this information is going to change a lot of people's minds among like head coaches and decision makers in the NFL, because this stuff's all been out there. If you've been in the league, you know that it's a possible route that you can take. And either you have decision makers up top that believe in it and want to try it or or you have decision makers up top that don't.
0: It's it's like yeah we're 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 accounting for the things that are important. It's like okay how? Well, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> That's, right. That seems to be where and 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 it's entirely possible that uh, that 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 he couldn't tell you and he he doesn't need to be able to tell you. Um, did did what did, did you guys have any conversation about like like um sort of how he became sort of a convert how he learned to trust kind of this stuff. Uh, in general, and and how he had he gained faith in the staff that's that's there in particular.
1: Yeah, so he he spent like seven years studying behavioral economics, you know, because he, after he stopped playing football, um, in the in the early two thousands, you know, after he played one year at Mercehurst and four years at Dayton, like his his entire life be- became about you know becoming a head coach and putting himself in position, you know, to get there and, and knowing that he would be prepared when he did get the opportunity. So, you know, I, he in the story, I write about how he gets up and goes to his bookshelf to get this, this book, The Undoing Project by Michael Lewis. Strong reco. Right. And so he's reading me quotes from that, um, you know, an, uh, the new definition of a nerd, a person who knows his own mind well enough to mistrust it. Like, and he's reading me all of these things, and he's done a lot of reading from, like, Dan Kahneman, who I guess worked a lot with the Israeli army, And so he's like he's really like sunk into, you know, the literature surrounding good decision making processes so that when he did get in this position, he had a fully formed idea of how he was going to go about it. Um, And so he knew from reading all of this literature that like this is the way to make decisions, like gathering as much data as possible is the best way to make decisions. And it's going to lead to better results over the long term. And so that's, that was his initial approach. And then when he got here, the Chargers had one analytics staffer, Aditya Krishnan, who they hired from the Browns when Anthony Lynn was still here. And when Brandon sat down at his introductory press conference, you know, I asked him, how do you feel about analytics, about using them in football, and, and what are your plans for that department? Because there was only one person in the department. He said at that point, we're going to invest in this. And two months later, they hired Alex Stern, who was then a – a consultant at Virginia Football, and he, uh, really, he actually
0: yeah. worked for. He was an intern for for my head of an- analysis at StatsBomb. So, uh, oh, so there Alex you go. Comes, uh, he Alex comes with with the strong recommendation from, uh, from from my side of things, but yeah,
1: yeah. So, so he knew he knew how he wanted to make decisions, and then within two months after getting the job, he invested in it with somebody that that first came on that radar from Alex's performance at the Big Data Bowl. He obviously in twenty twenty was a finalist, in twenty twenty one was a Uh, honorable mention so he had turned some heads in the community um and that was somebody they targeted and so they had him join up with Aditya and and you know but I think the literature that he read and and really studying behavioral economics and decision making he had a fully formed idea of how he wanted to go about this and and he's executed that here in the first couple years on on the job
0: and for folks that are listening I would strongly recommend the undoing project I think uh thinking fast and slow which is you know Kahneman's sort of most well-known popular uh uh, writing is is a a bit of a it's it's a bit it's a bit dense and i think the undoing project really actually does a does a a pretty good job hitting the key points of that book in a in you know given that michael lewis is a tremendous storyteller yeah in a in a a pretty in a in a pretty digestible way so it's a that's, that's a
1: staley read that book too uh, yeah. think, thinking fast and slow is another one that he mentioned. But I think it's noteworthy that he went to the bookcase and pulled out The Undoing Project and not thinking fast and slow to read some passages for me.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, yes, I think, I think that uh, that uh, the, the prose of Michael Lewis flows a little better. This, this all sort of, like, everything that, that we're talking about reminds me of something. I heard uh, Kahneman on a podcast about two years ago, and he said something align, along the lines of, I don't think the average CEO gets enough chances to, to be able to make intuitive decisions. Basically, basically what, what he's saying is like, like making big decisions, uh, you don't get enough reps to, to go by gut. Like, like you need to study. And I, 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 i thought that was, I thought that was really interesting. And I think that, that observation, I think underpins a lot of what we're talking about is like, I'm not going to fly by the seat of my pants. I'm going to study it. I'm going to study it when I have time to study it, and then it's just about executing in the moment. Right. It just
1: takes a certain level of humility, I think. Like, because you know, there's only 32 NFL head coaching jobs, and to get one of those, you have to be pretty damn good at what you do. But it then takes humility to sit there and say, "I've been doing this my entire life, but I don't know everything. My instincts aren't going to give me an advantage over every other football coach." And so, in Staley's mind, admitting what he doesn't know. Is giving him an advantage, you know, not fully relying on his instincts, but adding more information to the equation. He thinks is going to give him an advantage, and it really stems from a level of humility for him.
0: Ironically, there's a there's a Charles Barkley quote that I think sums <laughs> this up, and he always talks about like those guys are getting paid too, like right, exactly. It, you know, it's, it, it, it. always struck me that that you know when teams, you know, and this is across sports again. Teams, you know, oh we'll, we'll all, our culture will fix that. Our player development will fix that. It's like. We really are going to magic asterisks and say we're doing that that much better than the other, the other you know twenty nine or thirty one as it may be, like professional organizations. Really, that's right. that, that's the that's the approach we're going to take. And and again, I think I, I responded well to that as well. The the uh, the notion that you know hey you know perfect is is out of reach. I'm trying to get better. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, is there anything else that kind of ended up on the, the cutting room floor of, of the, of the article that you think would be just, would be sort of interesting color?
1: Yeah. Um, trying to think the, the game, the overall game management stuff was one of the parts that, um, I had to take out that I I wish I didn't, we touched on that earlier. And then, um, there were just a lot of like specific examples that I went into, um, you know, there was there was the Browns game, which was a really fascinating example in Week 5. It turned into this crazy shootout. Um, Chargers defense couldn't stop anybody. And so, you know, there were two situations, one-fourth-and-seven and, and one-fourth-and-eight, where the Chargers model was telling them to punt, but Brandon Staley overruled those decisions because he saw how his defense was playing. And I thought it was interesting that it sort of went both ways. You know, there were instances where he went against the model and said, unless... You know, to to use the story's terms, um, you know, both in an aggressive way and in a conservative way. You know, there were and there were moments like in that Broncos game I mentioned, um, that was more based on how they modeled it. But then there were a couple instances in the Vikings game. You know, at the end, they scored a touchdown, um, and Brandon Staley opted to kick the extra point, even though you know the model was indicating to go for two, and he did that mostly based on you know how he felt his defense was playing, and. You know, so I I feel like he gets painted as a guy who's like, I'm trusting the math every single time. But there were a lot of these instances, I mean, not a lot, but a few instances over the course of the year where he, you know, made these decisions that were more aggressive than the modeling and then also less aggressive. And so, you know, as much as people want to paint him as this guy that's trusting the math without any questions asked, like there were instances based on the flow of the game where he overruled based on his gut feeling. And we can talk about whether that was a good decision or a bad decision, but there is a part of that in how Brand Staley is, is making decisions, and I think that sometimes gets lost when we're discussing this. Uh,
0: I, that's fascinating because th- th- this is liter- literally the first time I've heard about, like, oh, and then you adjust the model, adjust from the model. Like, that. it seems like every other time I've heard about that, it's a one-way ratchet towards conservatism and the fact right. that like it should be like if you're if if you're really having a, a a balanced approach to this it should be you should deviate to the aggressive side you know a, a, as or at least close to as often right and but yeah. in, in practice it's it's you know it, it i think that i think that's when we'll know that this is a um this is a this is something that is really a mode of thought that's really been become standard is when sort of that bell curve of, of decisions is, is centered on like, you know, kind of quote unquote, the math and they go and coaches go above or below a relatively equally, equally amount of times.
1: Right. But I feel like you have to start from a point where the, where the coach believes in it. Yeah. You know, if the coach believes in it and believes in the process, then you're probably going to get as many or close to as many aggressive decisions that deviate um, and, and conservative decisions. But if, if you have a coach who doesn't believe in this, and is basically getting told from from front office executives, like, hey, this is how we have to play, then if he is in a situation where he can make a gut decision, he's probably going to lean more conservative because that's just his natural state of being. So I think like the reason that it happens for Brandon Staley is because he's so well-versed in this stuff and because you know the, all, all of these decision-making processes are stemming from his brain and, and how he wants to approach things. And so I think that's why you see it developed that way.
0: So, last question before before I let let you get out of here. And thanks a lot for your time. Is, yeah, of course. Um, are there any any sort of takeaways that, that if if a uh, if a team calls you tomorrow and said, "Hey, you've talked to Brandon Staley a lot. We we want some of of, of what he's selling." Um, if a team was sort of starting from scratch and wanting to, you know, it's it's almost cliche, but becoming a data driven organization, um, you know. What lessons do you think are, are generalizable from, from, you know, what, what the char- how the Chargers have approached this?
1: I think it, it goes back to bring it full circle. It goes back to how we started this conversation. Like, you have to start from a point that more information is always better. It doesn't ha- you don't have to make decisions based on any specific information. But the more information that you can gather from whatever resource and apply it to your decision-making is going to make you a better decision-maker. And, like, that's where it starts for Brandon Staley, and that's that's where I feel like teams have to start is be open to any kind of information, quantitative, qualitative, as we were talking about earlier. And if you start from that point of more information is always better, then it's going to happen naturally, you know, where where people start to understand, you know, why this type of decision making is important. But that's, like, the overarching lesson. And that was what I was trying to write in there was like, it's just more information. And if you can start from a point of more information is better. Like that is, that is where all of this stems from.
0: It's I I, I couldn't agree more. And that's sort of, you know, when I talk about these things, it's, it's, it's like, Hey, it's just basketball. And I think that, I think that, you know, you you can say it's more information, but it's like, it's just football. Right. You know, when it, when it, when, when it, when it gets recognized in that way, that's, that's sort of when a lot of these kind of, Dumb arguments that we have will quiet down a little bit. One hundred percent. I think this is for, for folks that haven't read it. It's it's on the Athletic. Uh, if if you don't subscribe to the Athletic, why not? Um, <laughs> uh, Daniel Popper, thanks a lot for, for coming on. I, I really appreciate you you taking the time first of all, and thank you for uh, for writing such a such an illuminating article that I think got at the really important bits of this.
1: Really appreciate it, Seth. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, and thanks, folks, for listening. I will be back later in this, the, the week, uh, probably home, to talking something more uh, strictly basketballish. But thanks for listening, and uh, take care, everyone.